When I retired, with lots of newfound available time, I enjoyed many travel opportunities. This podcast may encourage you to visit, revisit, or experience virtual armchair travel, learning about exciting new venues. Travel is an excellent vehicle for lifelong learning. Welcome to the What Travel Writers Say podcast. I'm Mike Keenan, your host, and today we take a Holland American Line cruise through the Panama Canal. Our 17-day cruise from Fort Lauderdale in the Atlantic to San Diego in the Pacific transported us 4,507 miles at an average speed of 15 knots. Our ship, the Osterdam, consumed 350,000 gallons of fuel, while passengers devoured 46,800 eggs. I ate my fair share via myriad omelets. Our Indonesian stateroom attendants, Tegu and Maid, serviced 29 cabins starting at 5.30 in the morning. Like the entire crew, they are polite and cheerful with permanent smiles. Our room boasts floor-to-ceiling windows overlooking a private veranda for sitting outside. It's comfortable and large with a huge bed, desk, table, couch for two, a chair, and a bathroom with an inviting tub shower. Captain Michelle Williams welcomes us aboard with a bottle of champagne in an ice-filled tub with an assortment of hors d'oeuvres. All an American line knows how to set the tone. The ship publishes a daily newspaper in multiple languages covering world news, sports, and entertainment. A good-sized TV set in each cabin offers contemporary movies, TV shows, we watched the last two seasons of The Big Bang Theory, and news programs, MSNBC versus Fox, and the impartial BBC World News. Wi-Fi is available in multiple plans. The first day, we practice a compulsory emergency muster drill, reporting to our assigned spot on deck near gargantuan lifeboats. At 6 p.m., the ship slips from its Port Everglades dock into the Stranahan River, sleek boats meandering up and down the watery highway. We are part of a line of six massive cruise ships exiting single file. I notice we are escorted not merely by a pilot boat, but also two Coast Guard craft, a massive gun lodged on each bow, ready to dissuade any terrorist intent on blocking the route. A ship's map is given to each guest along with a plastic identity card employed to keep track of comings and goings on land and to open one stateroom. There are two prime dining areas, the main formal dining area, deck 2 at the stern, and the more relaxed Lido area, deck 9, near the pool and hot tubs, mainly self-serve and featuring a drive-in component that produces tasty hot dogs, hamburgers, and delicious portobello mushrooms. Two specialty dining areas require additional fees. Beautiful orchids decorate every table. The crow's nest on deck 10 features wide-angle views from the bow along with specialty coffees, also for an added fee. There are several bars. Food is available 24-7, also through room service at no extra charge. This necessitates willpower. 
Besides meeting rooms, shops, and a casino, special areas are set aside for computer buffs and a test kitchen and even an art gallery. The Crow's Nest offers a library, board games, crossword puzzles, and cards for those who like to play bridge. There's also a massive knitting room that has attracted a following. 1,800 passengers from 30 countries are attended by a staff of 780 from 41 countries. The USA leads with 1,024 tourists. Canada is second with 551, and Australia gets bronze with 54. Many hail from B.C. and Washington State on the West Coast, where we will end our cruise. Most people are in the 70 to 80 years old range. I have never seen so many canes, walkers, and dangerously quiet electric scooters that zip in and around hallways, outfitted with multiple washrooms, each spotless and featuring cloth towels with which to dry one's hands. Boarding is uncomplicated, most arriving a day early and bussed to the port from two principal hotels, luggage delivered directly to the staterooms. The massive ship, length 936 feet, width 106 feet, glides smoothly with minimal bumps through the blue Atlantic waves. The dress code casual, especially on this warm weather sailing. T-shirts, swimsuits, tank tops, and shorts not allowed in restaurants or public areas during evening hours, but I witness multiple allowances. At least one gala night occurs per cruise, passengers required to dress in more formal collared shirts and slacks, or dresses, skirts in the main dining or fine dining venues. A buffet acts as an alternative for those who don't wish to play dress-up. Tips to the dining, housekeeping, and behind-the-scenes crew are automatically added to one's shipboard account daily. $14.50 per person for passengers in the inside ocean view or balcony cabins and $16 per person for suite passengers. An automatic 15% gratuity is added to any bar bills or spa treatments. A busy spa operates on the ninth deck, offering acupuncture treatments, anti-aging miracles, liquid facelift, advanced facial rejuvenation, teeth whitening, instant wrinkle remedies, non-surgical facelift, and other Lourdes-like initiatives. For those like me content with wrinkles, there's a happy hour at 4 p.m. One in wear brochures outline events with something for everybody, including excursion descriptions, movies, a naturalist, trivia contests, yoga, and fitness in an attractive gym. Wine, beer, and liquor tastings, ping pong, comedians, singers, dancers, and even a ventriloquist for those who might miss Ed Sullivan. Our first night, we dine at the Pinnacle Grill, featuring an intimate, relaxed atmosphere with a $30 surcharge per guest. We sit beside a window with an ocean view. After jumbo shrimp and an iceberg lettuce salad with buttermilk dressing, I devour a delicious filet mignon with baked potato and carrots while my spouse relishes Alaskan halibut. Then we split a key lime pie. Yum! A few days later, on board the Osterdam, we breakfast in the Atlantic and supper in the Pacific, thanks to the Panama Canal, twice the size of the Welling Canal at 82 kilometers. 
we passed through three locks, ships averaging 8 to 10 hours compared to two weeks around South America. The American Society of Civil Engineers ranked this as one of the seven wonders of the modern world. The United States took over from France, spending $500 million to finish the project. The average toll is $150,000. The cruise ship Norwegian Pearl paid $375,600, but with the opening of the new larger locks in 2016, the new record is held by MOL Benefactor, a 10,000 TEU cargo ship at $829,000. Traffic involves 14,000 vessels yearly, or about 35 to 40 per day. I'm up at 6 a.m. to watch from our veranda. Passengers flood the ship's bow deck area for pictures. Our cruise visits Colombia, Panama, Costa Rica, Nicaragua, and Guatemala in Central America, as well as Mexico. The common feature here, it's hot, from 32 to 37 degrees centigrade. Once the treasure chest of the Spanish main at Cartagena, we witnessed the largest Spanish fort in the New World, the Fort of San Felipe de Barajas, built to deter pirates such as Balls, 1543, Drake, 1586, Jean-Bernard de Jean, Jean Ducasse, 1697, and Edward Vernon, 1741. The women wear tricolored Colombian frilly dresses, yellow, blue, and red, to match the national flag, with clumps of bananas fastened to their heads. I answer gracias no to aggressive offers of fridge magnets, castanets, lace tablecloths, leather purses and belts, water, beer, colorful bags, jewelry, and miscellaneous artwork. Some beggars join in the feeding frenzy. Old Panama City was founded in 1519 by the Spanish conquistador Pedro Arias de Avila. Welsh pirate Sir Henry Morgan set it aflame in 1671. The ruins became known as Panama Viejo. In withering heat, we are happy to climb back into our air-conditioned bus and tender back to the ship. In Costa Rica, there's steaming volcanoes, lush rainforests, nearly half the animal species on Earth, plus San Jose, a modern capital high in the mountains where we encounter many large-scale sculptures by Jimenez de Redia born in Heredia, Costa Rica. His pieces, quite beautiful, large, smooth, and stunning in their simplicity. Coffee bushes flourish on steep slopes on both sides of the highway, stretching to the cloud forest. In Corinto, Nicaragua, the temperature spikes to 37 degrees centigrade, and in Porto Quetzal, Guatemala, it's 34 degrees centigrade. Here, modern Maya weave their stories on black-strap looms. We bust from 20 feet above sea level to 5,000 feet at Antigua, the colonial capital, a UNESCO World Heritage Site. We pass Ground Zero, a site of massive destruction from last year's earthquake, leveling an entire village. The country sits on three tectonic plates, hence the earthquakes. We see two volcanoes, Fuego, one of Central America's most active volcanoes, and Acantanago. Coffee, tourism, and agriculture are Guatemala's three leading sources of revenue. 
Jade quarry mines lost since the Spanish conquest were discovered in 1975 by archaeologists Jay and Mary Lou Riddinger. We stop at the Jade Museum and Factory where Mary Lou speaks to us. For the Mayans, gold was surpassed by jade. They associated it with eternal life and often buried their leaders with jade death masks. From Puerto Chiapas, Mexico, we bus to Tuxtla Chico. In a small town square, dancers in colorful dresses and multiple marimba players put on a lively performance. We watch cocoa beans transform from seed to delicious chocolate. Yum! The ancient ruins of Izapa, unearthed in 2012, include pyramids, sculptured plazas and squares, and two ball courts. Our guide indicated that the ball game was often played with a skull wrapped in rubber and that the losers might be sacrificed. Huatuco, Mexico is known for nine beautiful bays and beaches. We moor at one with plenty of boat traffic while luxury homes occupy the surrounding hills. Nearby, low-growth jungles teem with bird life and nesting grounds for sea turtles. At Manzanillo, Mexico, where the movie 10 was filmed, we opt for a city tour with, with Danny Tours, featuring Daniel Perez and his young son and daughter, who make sure we exit the bus safely. A giant sailfish sculpture greets us. Daniel reports that Manzanillo is the sailfish capital of the world. We leave the Moorish-style downtown in advance through steep hillside homes that would keep anyone in shape walking up and down the steps. We see ugly iguanas that range from 1.5 to 1.8 meters in length. After climbing a steep hill for a gorgeous panoramic view, we retreat to a beach with a flea market for tourists and restaurants. At the Aquarius restaurant, we sip cheap Mexican cervezas, Corona beer for $2 each. The tacos and burritos are delicious. At Puerto Vallarta, from our veranda, the first buildings I notice are Walmart, Sam's Club, and KFC. Dispiriting. Puerto Vallarta was big in the 60s, a haunt of artists, writers, and Hollywood stars, attracted to the five-star resorts and Michelin-rated restaurants. Finally, arrival in San Diego, anchored 100 meters from the U.S. aircraft carrier Midway Museum, with vintage airplanes littered about its massive deck. The airport only 12 minutes away. Then Chicago's O'Hare and finally Buffalo, New York, from where we head home, arriving at 3 a.m. A long day, but a great trip. To read my travel articles, go to my website at whattravelwritersay.com and for travel pictures, my Pinterest boards at pinterest.com backslash mustang6648. If you have any questions or comments, contact me at mjk6648 at gmail.com. We conclude each podcast with an appropriate travel quote. Today it's from author John Steinbeck, who said, A journey is like a marriage. The certain way to be wrong is to think that you control it. Thanks for listening. Happy travels and tune in again next week for another What Travel Writers Say podcast.